Alright, well, um, we're going to be in Acts 10. Um, so if you've been tracking with us, we've been working through a series as a church called um, Covenant People. Um, and during this series, um, we've been looking at how the church uh, were covenantly committed to God um, and to one another. Now, a covenant um, is just an agreement um, or a promise between people. Um, and God calls us um, to live in covenant, to live in agreement um, with him um, and with one another. And so we've been looking at some of the practicalities of how we do that as a church. Um, and today I'm going to be speaking from Acts 10. Um, and I'm touching uh, today on prejudice and racism. Um, now, this is a mammoth topic um, and I don't expect to cover all of it. Um, this is an ongoing conversation. Um, I'm going to preach from Acts 10. Um, because the Bible has a lot to say about it. Um, so I'm going to preach what Acts 10 teaches us about prejudice um, and racism. And it's really important that we understand racism um, is not a black and white issue. Um, it's something that affects all of us. Um, and we must all work uh, to overcome barriers um, in our own lives of prejudice um, so that actually we can achieve maturity as a church, because that's actually what God requires of us um, as a church. And so uh, we're going to look at our passage today in two parts. So if you jump to Acts 10, um, it should come up on the slides uh, as I'm uh, talking. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Um, Lord, we just uh, come to you, Lord, and we ask for your wisdom uh, this morning. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give insight Lord, we pray that you would speak to the depths of our hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. And Lord, we just ask that you would come, Lord, and, and, and shine uh, your light um, into some of those areas where, where, where you want to bring about transformation and change. Lord, we just commit ourselves into you and just say, Lord, we want to sit humbly under your word, Lord, and hear all that you have for us. Lord, whatever I say that isn't of you, Lord, I pray would you take it away. But Lord, whatever is from your heart, Lord, I pray it would take root, Lord, and it would bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's jump in then at Acts 10. We're going to jump in at verse 1 right at the beginning. Um, at Caesarea, um, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. 
This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by, the, by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So just to recap where we're up to. So we've got two men in our story, Cornelius and Peter. And both of these men have visions. Firstly, Cornelius. Um, Cornelius has a vision of an angel of God and he's terrified. But then his, he hears something that's probably quite comforting to him. The angel says, your prayers and arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Cornelius is then instructed to send for Peter, who's in Joppa, and he does so immediately. Let's just take a moment uh, to think about who Cornelius is. Well, He's a Roman centurion. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. Um, and the Romans were the ruling superpower of the day. And this meant Cornelius was part of quite an oppressive um, regime. Um, and to the Jews, he would have represented a foreign ruling power. The Romans often used fear um, as one of their tactics to, in order to keep peace. And um, they did this by making an example of any uh, perceived threat to their authoritarian rule. Uh, we see this brutally demonstrated um, as Jesus was sentenced to crucifixion by the Roman authorities, even though he was innocent. You see, any hint of unrest and they would crush anyone involved. And we don't know specifically what role Cornelius played as a Roman authority in the region, but we do know that Cornelius was a God-fearing man. We see that in verse 22. And a couple of weeks ago, Steph spoke on fear. Um, and how we can have an appropriate fear or reverence or awe of God. And that's Cornelius. He prays. And the angel tells us he prays and gives alms. Alms is money or food that's given to the poor. Um, now, we don't know what teaching that Cornelius has necessarily been exposed to, um, but we know that he's mindful of God and he loves the poor and the marginalised. You see, although Cornelius is part of this terrible regime, he's compassionate and kind. And it's at this point in Acts 10 that, that, that God is going to choose to do something incredible and take the gospel to the rest of the world. Through these two men, Cornelius and Peter, God is going to demonstrate his heart for every nation on earth. And Cornelius, Cornelius is obedient to the angel's instructions and send people to go fetch Peter. Now, Peter, whilst this delegation from Cornelius is travelling, Peter has a, has a vision too. His vision is different. Um, and to fully understand the vision, um, we must understand a little bit about who Peter is. Firstly, he's a Jew. Um, and as a Jew, there were very strict rules about what they can and cannot eat. In Leviticus 11, um, we actually see a long description um, of what they could and couldn't eat. Um, and Peter's response in verse 14 tells us um, where he says in verse 14, by no means, Lord. 
tells us that within this, this, this sheep that descends from heaven, um, that, there's, that there's all sorts of animals, a mixture of clean and unclean animals. And, and this mixing of animals even would have meant that those clean animals would have become unclean just by virtue of the fact that they were mixed. And this sheep descends um, and, 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 and then this voice comes, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter would have been disgusted at the thought But God speaks to him again in verse 15 and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. You see, just at that point, um, just so that Peter got the point, this happened three times before it was taken back up to heaven. Now, probably rightly so, Peter's confused by the whole thing. Um, His entire life, all he's ever known is to eat clean food. And here's this vision and God telling him to eat unclean animals. And at this point, the men from Cornelius arrive, the Gentiles come, the ones who by the Jews were considered unclean. They turn up at his gate. And it appears that Peter is still uncertain about this as the spirit still needs to prompt him further. And he says in verse 20, rise and go down and accompany them. And so what we see here is essentially worlds colliding. Here we see God preparing the hearts of two men for something incredible. They don't quite know what it is, and they don't yet fully comprehend the impact of it. But God initiates with Cornelius, and God initiates with Peter. These two men come from very different worlds. Cornelius, a well-to-do Roman centurion, seeks out Peter, a fisherman turned preacher. Cornelius, if you like, represented oppression, and Peter, the oppressed. Peter had every reason in this moment to feel prejudice. Prejudice means to prejudge. He has lived um, his entire life concerned about what's clean and unclean. Here he has Gentile Romans on his doorstep. Maybe the last time he came across Romans, they'd come to take Jesus away. And now they've come for him. As a Jew, it was forbidden to even visit someone from another nation. And yet here, Peter is being invited to Cornelius' house. No, no wonder Peter asked them to stay. He probably needs some time to think on it and sleep on it. Um, we see here two main points of tension that would have awoken Peter's prejudices. He's a Jew being invited to go to Cornelius, a Gentile's house. And Peter the oppressed is being asked to visit Cornelius, a representation of his oppressors. Peter wouldn't have been the only one to have to overcome prejudice in this chapter. Cornelius, an educated Roman centurion, is seeking out Peter, a marginalised Jewish outcast, essentially. Cornelius, remember in verse 22, um, was well spoken of by the whole of the Jewish nation. He could have sent for anyone, any of Israel's teachers or leaders, um, but God led him to Peter. And so we can see both men have to overcome prejudice in order to reach out to one another. um, And we must do the same. But what does prejudice look like for us in our context? Well, we're constantly shaped by the world around us. And we all make judgments based on our understanding. The, The idea of being prejudiced is that you have preconceived ideas or judgments about someone without it any experiential evidence to support them. There are many prejudices that define the way we live, ranging from small and seemingly insignificant daily decisions to quite big 
life-shaping moments. Let me give you a small example um, of prejudice um, that perhaps many of us can relate to. Let's say you've, you've gone out to get milk and you're walking back from the shop and there were three young people stood chatting on the pavement 20 metres before your house on the same side of the street. I would expect many of us are familiar with this scene. Um, you've got a choice to make. Do you politely pass as it's the shortest route home? Or maybe you've read in the paper about growing youth crime and how it's on the rise. And you think wisdom would dictate maybe you should cross the road to avoid any kind of altercation um, or confrontation, um, only to then have to cross back to get back to your house. You see, if you cross the road, you've made a preconceived judgment and you let that then dictate your actions and influence your decision making. Now, these kinds of small incidents happen every day. And if we cross the road to avoid them, we also have to think about the consequence on those young people. What does it say to them? It says, you intimidate me. You can't be trusted. You're not a fully functioning part of society. Something about your identity makes me uncomfortable. You see the point? And then we wonder why young people um, have such a crisis of identity and feel marginalised and directionless, because that's how we treat them. Of course, there are those that would use intimidation to their advantage, and obviously young people do commit crime. I'm not saying that we should necessarily be naive, but we mustn't treat every person the same because we've read something in the paper. Being aware is a good thing, but letting that our prejudices dictate our actions is then a terrible thing. Our society today, in our society today, this doesn't just play out between young and old, rich and poor, but also between white and non-white. And if you are white, you might think I'm exaggerating, but here in Britain, we live in a culture that favours white people like me. It's a terrible injustice that we should develop preconceived ideas of people based on their race or ethnicity. And if you're white, imagine with me for a second that these small ha acts happen constantly. Whether it's people holding on tighter to a handbag just because you got on the bus, or maybe being followed around the shops by security or, or waiting staff at a restaurant hovering that little bit closer in case you dine and dash, you leave without paying. I hope you can see the problem. One incident might be excused, but when it happens, when it appears to be a pattern, there's something deeper going on. And even uh, in the paper just this last week, the editor-in-chief of British Vogue, um, a black man, was stopped by security walking into his own offices. And he was asked to then use the loading bay. Essentially, his, his observation is he'd been racially profiled as he entered his own office. This is the editor-in-chief. And I've got to be honest. Sometimes when I read stories like that, my mind can often jump to try and find reason or justification or a backstory to this um, for why it's not necessarily racially motivated. And as a one-off, maybe you can. But the reality is this is a regular occurrence for many who aren't white. And I've learned and am learning that my response to try and excuse situations demonstrates my own prejudice as, as that demonstrates my own prejudice is as much a part of the problem as the incident itself. In the census in 2011, um, 
60% of Londoners uh, were ethnically white. Um, when we let prejudice go unchecked, when we allow our preconceived ideas of non-white members of society surface, when we treat people based on their skin colour, we write off 40% of our neighbours and our colleagues. That's injustice. And yet Jesus came to bring justice for all. Now, we'd be short-sighted if we didn't acknowledge that these incidents happen in the church as well. Evidences of people not feeling welcomed when they were new to Rev, maybe. Uh, People making inappropriate jokes, trying to build a rapport. Even feeling overlooked in conversation or people making assumptions about interests and hobbies. All of these are actual experiences from some of our non-white members. Now, I know ignorance plays a part in this. A lack of knowledge at how things might come across or a clumsiness in conversation. But where these actions come from a place of racial bias, a place of looking down on people, a place of prejudice, let me say this really clearly. It's an injustice and it's sin. Sin in the Bible is literally to miss the mark. What you were aiming for, you've missed it. And, and, and our target as a church is that we believe church should be a place of comfort, encouragement, and a place where people from every ethnicity come to celebrate their identity in Christ and the unity that we have in the gospel as reflected by our diversity. And where we've missed that target, as a white member of the church, I just want to say that I'm deeply, deeply sorry. And even for my own part in that, where I might have allowed my own prejudices to dictate my thoughts, my actions, I want to apologise, just say I'm so, so deeply sorry for any offence or harm that I've caused through careless actions or careless words. But now let's turn back to our passage today. Peter, um, he would have been confronted with his own prejudices, preconceived ideas about what the Romans really wanted. He's, he's never associated with them, let alone been to one of their houses. Peter is a Jew. Um, he would have been raised with, 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 with prejudice ideals. The Jews were um, a condescending people. They often looked down on other nations. Um, and this was actually contrary to what God had asked of Israel. And let's look at um, a couple of passages. So we'll look at um, a promise that God makes to Abraham. Abraham is a man whose whole offspring became the nation of Israel. And we'll we'll jump to Genesis 22. I'll only read one verse, so it won't come up on the screen. Um, And if you're following in a Bible, Genesis 22, we'll jump in halfway through verse 17. Um, And God says to Abraham, And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. We see God's design is that Abraham's offspring, the nation of Israel, were meant to be a blessing to the nations. They were meant to act as a signpost to God for the other nations. Um, In Isaiah, from about chapter 40, um, Isaiah, the prophet, um, has spends chapters talking about Israel's role. And this is what he says in Isaiah 42, verse 6. God says to Israel, um, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. You see, in the midst of a dark world, 
they were to be a beacon of truth and light and show the world by the way they lived how great God is. And what we see as recorded through the Old Testament is that Israel enjoyed being God's chosen people because it meant that they were spiritually superior. And instead of often pointing the nations by demonstrating God's reign over them, they often retreated into an insular world. And as a nation, God meant for them to be separate so they could be a shining example. But instead, they distanced themselves until that shine just became a small flicker. So when Peter sees the Romans at his door, his first thought isn't, God has privileged me to be a light to the nations. His instinctive reaction is that they're unclean and not to be associated with. Gentiles were considered unclean and everything in him um, would have told him to distance himself from them as much as possible. But here, God tells him to go with them. This is revolutionary. And so let's pick up the rest of our passage in verse 23. The next day he rose and went with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that, oh, sorry, uh, lost my, and, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, who is lodging in the house of Simon Atana by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so when Peter arrives um, at uh, Cornelius's house, um, he sees that Cornelius has gathered his friends and family. At this point, he's probably thinking this is a trap. <laughs> um, it's probably why um, he, uh, it's probably why he, he leads with the response, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to visit anyone of another nation. He must have walked in quite nervous, and when he saw all of these people, except for the fact that Cornelius does something really unusual. He falls at his feet and worships him. Now, Peter has had this before. Peter has had people fall at his feet, but they've all been Jews. And as one of Jesus' closest friends, people knew who Peter was, and they often fell at his feet in reverence of him. And often Peter would lift them up. Um, but never has a Gentile shown such humility and such vulnerability. This was different. God was doing something different. God was doing something new. And so how do we overcome prejudice? Well, 
Suppose in our example, with the three young people, as you get closer, uh, you realise that one of them is the son of a good, very good friend of yours. We'll call him Billy. And you work with Billy's dad. And in fact, you have such a good relationship with Billy's dad that he often shares some of the interests that he and Billy um, have in common. How they would like to go to the football on Saturday afternoon and grab a pizza on the way home. When you realise who it is, how does your perception of Billy and his friends change? All of a sudden, any preconceived thoughts you had about them evaporate. Even giving him a name in my illustration makes it more relatable. Instead of three unknown people, you have a relationship with one of them and your mind is no longer filled with thoughts of newspaper clippings or statistics. Your mind now filters these three through the relationship that you have with Billy and his dad. Your social understanding has switched from being just an objective stranger to being a personal friend, somebody that you're very fond of. And so what changed? There's still three young people hanging out, having a chat. You still need to pass by them to get home. The key here is relationship. Outside of relationship, it's, it's hard to keep those prejudices, thoughts in check. Instead of seeing these people as, as, as faceless young people within a demographic, you see them as people. You know their identity. The relationship provides trust and humility to better understand one another. And this is what we see in our passage today with Peter and Cornelius. With the help of God, both of them choose to take steps towards each other to form a relationship. Peter demonstrates trust when he returns with the men to Cornelius' house. Peter demonstrates humility by going against Jewish custom and entering Cornelius' house. Cornelius demonstrates trust when he sends for Peter, an uneducated fisherman who was known amongst the Jews as a bit of a troublemaker. Cornelius demonstrates humility when he falls at his feet. And then when he asks in verse 33, tell us all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He basically says to Peter, I'm searching and you've got the answers. Please teach me. But here's the fascinating thing. Both men demonstrate a greater trust and humility to someone else. They both trust what God said and were obedient to it. Both men have shown humility by tackling their prejudices and through the work of the Holy Spirit have overcome those hurdles to reach out and take steps towards one another. And as we spoke about sin earlier, that wrongdoing, the Bible says that it's like a chasm between us and God. The Bible says that we were strangers, even enemies to God. Our relationship was broken. And it's like a chasm that we could never cross. God's solution was Jesus. Jesus made a way for us to cross that divide and come into a right relationship with God. So we're no longer strangers, but friends. Jesus reached across the divide and invites all of us to come into relationship with God where he knows each of us by name and comes to live in each of us by his Holy Spirit to lead us, as he did Peter, 
and Cornelius. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're hearing me now. As we humble ourselves and put our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, we are called his friends. No longer strangers, but friends. You start that journey by acknowledging you, can, you cannot cross that divide. Your wrongdoing that separates from, you, from God is too vast. And the only solution is to put your trust in Jesus. If you want to know more about what this means to be a friend of God, then please do reach out to us. We love to journey with you um, as you put your faith in Jesus and begin to walk um, as a disciple, as a believer um, in him. And that's the starting point for both Peter and Cornelius, to humble themselves and put their trust in God. That relationship or reconciliation to God, becoming friends of God, lays the foundation in their heart and enables them to be reconciled to each other. The wonder of the gospel is that it doesn't just impact on my vertical relationship between me and God, but it impacts my horizontal relationships between you and me. So what's the application here? Well, nearly two months ago, the world was was rocked by the tragic scenes of George Floyd's brutal murder. And this is by no means uh, uh, an isolated incident, um, but demonstrates prejudice and racism at its very core. We've seen this incident spark protests across the world um, as the Black Lives Matter um, movement has gathered momentum. Um, We could be tempted to view this as an American problem. Except let's not forget that here in Britain, we were the only nation to organise a counter-protest. Which, if you think about it, is a bit crazy. Essentially, it's a protest for racism. You see, racism isn't just an American problem. The racial bias in our own nation favours white people. And it's a gross injustice on a huge scale. And knowing what to do about it can be very hard. We're also naive if we think that, that this worldly pattern of thinking doesn't cross over into the church. At times, fracturing those horizontal relationships between brothers and sisters, between believers. And the George Floyd situation has given many non-white people courage to speak about their own traumatic experiences. Some of our non-white brothers and sisters in the church have shared honestly their own experiences at Rev, and it's truly heartbreaking. I really do applaud their bravery, but I've also wept. I've wept for those brothers and sisters who've been so hurt who feel that they cannot fully express themselves, who they are, who God's made them in the church. And this has motivated us as elders to look at the culture we're creating and how best to address this moving forward. How to help people move towards one another with trust and humility. And where appropriate, find repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, healing. Because we believe that's the good news of Jesus. We've done a lot of listening, a lot of reflecting and reading. And we want to initiate a healthy discussion on race and ethnicity in the church. 
And we're looking to kick off a series in the autumn term um, to help with this. Alongside this series, we'll look to create safe spaces, um, probably through uh, gospel communities, smaller settings where there are already the foundations of relationship, places where people can open up the conversation with a view to getting to a healthy, mature place um, that better reflects God's heart for the church. And I want to encourage us all to use this time over the summer to continue learning so that we can better understand the context in which we live and the impact it has on non-white brothers and sisters. I'm going to say two things in closing. Firstly, this is not and this must not be a one-off conversation. The racial bias that we see in society and the church is an injustice and sinful. And we anticipate that this uh, conversation will take many months, potentially even years, for us to walk into the greater fullness of the rich diversity that God has for us as a church. But I do believe and I'm humbled that God has raised this issue in this season for us to deal with it. Secondly, let us open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. I believe as we do that, just like Peter and Cornelius did, God will give us grace to tackle the prejudices in our own heart and take steps forward together. You see, this worldly system of racism must not be tolerated in the church. For the sake of God's name, he calls us to fight injustice. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Look what happened when these two men showed trust and humility towards one another. When they pursued relationship and overcame prejudices to achieve racial reconciliation. The rest of Acts 10 describes Cornelius' household becoming followers of Jesus. And, well, to be honest, you and I, are the result of that. You and I are the product of the good news of Jesus bursting out of the Jewish nation and having an impact and bringing renewal and transformation to every race, ethnicity and nation on earth. That's the power of the gospel. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to hand back to Stephen Davina. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your wonderful good news. And Lord, we, Lord, we just acknowledge in our own hearts, Lord, how, how, how short we fall, uh, Lord, and how desperately in need of you we are. And so, Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in this season. You'd give us grace. Lord, you'd give us humility. Lord, to sit under the truth of your gospel, Lord, and let and let, let the impact of it affect every area of our lives. And Lord, I just pray for all those uh, listening right now, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would be whispering words of truth and life. Lord, I pray, uh, would you bring conviction by your Holy Spirit where it's necessary, Lord, and would you bring true freedom, uh, grace and, and liberty, Lord, where it's much needed. Lord, we thank you that you have a wonderful plan for your church. And Lord, we want to celebrate 
the, the incredible rich diversity, Lord, amongst us. But also, Lord, we want to celebrate the wonderful unity that we've now found in you. Lord, we just honour you and bless your name. Amen.